0: Chapter 18 to pick that up. First Samuel chapter 18. Uh, in the meantime, intervening between chapter 15, uh, Samuel has gone to anoint a new king, the teenager David. And in chapter 17, that teenager David had uh, had the blessing of God shown to him uh, as he killed the giant Goliath, uh, declaring that uh, God would reign. In chapter 18, uh, we pick up a most interesting set of circumstances uh, because uh, it was young David who did what uh, the king of the nation could not do in chapter 17, slay the giant uh, Goliath. Uh, There was a new song created to honor David. It's found in verse 7. The women sang as they played, and they said this, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And here's a puny little unknown teenager who up to now the most important thing he ever did was watch his father's sheep has now become a national hero. And Saul well knows from chapter 13 and 15 that the days of his kingdom are numbered and he's filled with anger, it says, in verse 8. Saul became very angry. Suspicion, verse 9. Fear, verse 12. Dread, verse 15, and he begins to conspire to kill David. I must hold on to my kingship. Uh, it is for me. I'll do it my way. He now becomes not only an impatient king, not only an insubordinate king, but he has become an indignant king. Now, he is indignant that this young teen would uh, have more fame and more press than he would. And so in the ensuing chapters, if we were to read all of them, we would discover that Saul, who had all of the assets of the kingdom behind him, set out to kill young David. And you and I know well, uh, he failed in all of that and ultimately realized that David was of God and uh, gave up and confessed his own sin. I wondered what Saul's life would have been like if he could have had the book of Romans, which would not be written for hundreds of years. Romans 12.10 says, Give preference to one another in honor. Chapter 13 and verse 7, Render to all what is due them honor to whom honor is due. Saul wanted the number one spot at everybody else's expense, even if it cost God his glory and Israel her kingdom. He wanted to hold on to being number one, uh, most prominent, most beloved, most respected, even if he did not know God's blessing. Uh, He was a man who was utterly indignant and had little of humility or lowliest of mind in him. If you know anything about the life of Saul, and had we had time and had covered some of the earlier details in his life, Uh, Saul was more amazed than anybody that God chose him to be king. He saw himself as utterly unqualified to be the king. And so frightened was he at the prospect of being king that back in chapter 9 and verse 2 it says he went and hid himself. He was so afraid of the prospects of being the king of the nation. But those days are gone. He's now puffed up with human pride. Uh, He's uh, set at the table of fame. Uh, He likes the way it tastes. His appetite cannot be satisfied and even to the point of killing David, the newly anointed of of God, would Saul hold on to the fame of his kingship? I don't know about you, but humility is a hard thing to come by and uh, you might think that that's a plague of youth, um, which it might be, but I think it might be harder as the years grow older. Uh, As one grows older, one discovers that not everything he thought he would do or everything she thought she would do at age 20 has come to pass. Uh, By the time you're 30, you realize some of it's not going to happen. By the time you're 40, you're a little more convinced some of it's not going to happen. By the time you're 50, uh, you're fairly sure it's not going to happen, and you then hope your children can do what you could not do. That's a hard thing to admit. It's a hard thing to come to grips with. It's a hard thing to let go. And if the fires of pride are stoked up within us, we'll respond to life as we grow older, exactly like Saul did. And that is, I'm going to have my slice of success. And I don't care what it takes. I don't care who I step on. I don't care who I deny the honor that should have that honor. I'm number one. I want to be the hero of every success story. I want to be most visible on campus. And nothing could be any more sinful, nothing could find uh, any more disgrace with God than the sin of pride. Proverbs 16.5 says that pride is an abomination to God. It's in the same category as idolatry. It's in the same category as immorality. To have a heart that's filled with pride uh, is just as sinful as uh, worshiping idols. It's just as sinful as all of the immoral activities that uh, we could engage in. And it was even more of a downfall to King Saul. He was an impatient king when he should have exercised patient trust in God. He was an insubordinate king when he should have been known for total obedience it should have been his example to the nation. He was an indignant king, and even when one in his kingdom knew the blessing of God, Saul set out to pursue him and to kill him and to take his life so that he, by his own efforts, could regain the prominence in his nation. There's one more that we turn to in just this quick survey of the life of Saul, and it's all the way over in 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28, most of the intervening chapters, by the way, are filled up with all of the fruitless efforts of Saul to kill David and regain the prominence in the kingdom, none of which occurred. 1 Samuel chapter 28, and we add a a fourth in our uh, litany of foibles, all beginning with the letter I, and I think this word most describes the heart of Samuel before God, and that is he was a He was a man of impudence. He was a man of impudence. In chapter 28, he's acting like a little kid instead of an adult. uh, He's acting like a lunatic rather than the king of Israel. This one final episode really stains uh, the reign of Saul. If there was ever a time that uh, he should have known better, uh, it would have been uh, at the time that uh, Samuel had uh, died. It says in verse 3, that all Israel had lamented him and buried him, and Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. he knew that that was the command of Leviticus 19.31, Leviticus 20, verses 6 and 27. Uh, He knew all of that was an abomination to God, and to his credit, had uh, done away with it. But as we have learned, and you might guess, there was a certain internal weakness in Saul And so it was in verse 6 that uh, Saul inquired of the Lord. He had to do it directly now because Samuel the prophet was dead. And the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. And here's a a king who's paranoid to start with, who's got great internal spiritual weaknesses. He no longer has his uh, medium to God through the prophet Samuel. And so he tries to contact God in an emergency himself and is utterly cut off. And in so doing, he absolutely panics, for he says in verse 7, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And rather than serving the king well and saying, Don't you remember that you've removed them from the land, verse 3, they said, Behold, there's a woman who's a medium that indoor. And so Saul disguised himself, he went to Endor, and he met with that witch, and he said, verse 8, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. Look at verse 9, most interesting. A little integrity in mediums of those days. For she says, Behold, you know what Saul has done. How he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land, Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? And, of course, at this point, she's not real sure who's in front of her. Well, Saul vowed to her, verse 10, As the Lord lives, there shall be no punishment come upon you for this thing. So the woman relieved that I can now do my deal and I won't be punished for it. Verse 11 says, Whom shall I bring up for you? And Saul says, Bring up Samuel for me. And everything's kind of copacetic just for that moment. She's going to be able to make some money with no punishment. He's going to be able to contact God through Samuel and uh, justify doing what uh, not only has been outlawed by the Mosaic law, but what has been outlawed by the king. Look at verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Just an amazing, amazing moment in the history of Israel. She knew as well as you and I know she couldn't bring Samuel up from the dead, but nonetheless, here is Samuel up from the dead. There is a power at work here that's far greater than her power, and there are people in her presence uh, that would uh, demand this sort of power. So the king said to her, verse 13, don't be afraid. What do you see? And she says, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. That's all she could think of. If there is a very real person coming up out of the grave. This can't be a human being. And she knew the failures of her own mediumship. Verse 15, then Samuel, who's been dead and in the grave, he gives his final word to Saul. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And as always, Saul has a good answer for Samuel's questions. He says, I'm greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, either through the prophets or by dreams. Therefore, in spite of everything that the Mosaic Law said, in spite of every law that Samuel, or Saul rather, had made, I, Saul, have called you that you may make known to me what I should do. Stupidity, idiocy, lunacy. Samuel responds, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? Point being, why do you ask me to, to intercede on your behalf if God is not? The Lord has done accordingly as He's spoken through me. Verse 17, For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and He's given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And were we to go to the end of 1 Samuel, would discover that within 24 hours, Saul... And his sons were dead. A family tragedy. Impudence in the sense that when God was silent, when God made no power known, when God absented himself from the life of Saul, he went to the utter extreme of a measure of spiritism and idolatry to try to accomplish what he saw thought was best for himself, and was most severely rebuked only to discover only to discover that the ultimate earthly judgment of God was only twenty four hours away. He was impudent when in fact he should have been filled with the fear of the Lord. He should have been on his knees, interceding on behalf of himself and his family and the nation, repenting of his sin, and crying out, Lord, as did David in Psalm 51 against thee and thee alone have I sinned against you. Whatever it is that you would do to right my wrong would demonstrate your justice as a righteous God. Instead, instead of doing that that was right, he did that that was wrong. He was impudent when he should have feared the Lord, he was indignant when he should have been bowed in humble faith. He was insubordinate when he should have been a man of total obedience. And he was impatient when he should have been a man who was marked by patient truth. And I would commend the life of Saul to you and me this morning, as I said, as a as a reverse role model. That that he did, don't do. And that that he didn't do, do do. I commend to you to be a collegiate at the Master's College. And for the remainder of your life, wherever God would take you, as a person who's known as one who's patiently trusting in the provision and in the Word of God. That you be known as a person of total obedience, regardless of which way the world goes, and regardless of which way the Christian community goes. That you be known as a person who first and foremost is one who considers obedience to God the highest form of worship. That you be one who's known to be a person of humble faith. Uh, You'll honor those who ought to receive honor. Uh, You'll be pleased to rejoice in the successes of others. Uh, I know in two months I'm going to be back on this campus. You're going to have an awards chapel, and I'm going to be here to present uh, one of many scholarships that will be presented. And uh, some of you are going to get the awards, and some of you aren't going to get the awards. It's going to be a major test on this campus. A lot of you uh, that aren't going to come to that chapel. As I remember, the awards chapel is not quite as full as this chapel. And I think maybe the explanation for that is there's some who know they aren't going to get an award, so what do they do? If I ain't going to be honored, I ain't going to be there. But the truth is, your spirituality will be tested. And if those who are honored are to be treated as God would have them to be treated, it ought to be the largest. Uh, chapel of the year. It ought to be the one chapel other than when the president's here that has got a 100% attendance both by the faculty, the student body, and the staff to recognize what God has done through your classmates and to honor them as they ought to be honored. And then I would commend to you, as I would to myself, that we be a people who fear the Lord, rightfully fear the Lord, And regardless of what happens in our life, regardless of whether it's God's lack of blessing because of our disobedience, or whether it's God's sovereign choice of direction in our life, that it always be measured by fear. Saul was a guy who could have had it all. Saul was a guy who had all of the requisite abilities, and yet, in the end, rather than a success that's to be heralded throughout time, uh, he's a failure. Of the first order. I close with these three paradoxes, and I take just a moment to compare the life of the first king of Israel with the life of the last king of Israel, the first we've spent a considerable amount of time looking at, Saul, the last I only mention, you know him well, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing that the people craved Saul as their king, and yet God rejected him. And yet the people rejected Christ, and God established Christ as the eternal king of heaven and earth. Secondly, Saul was impatient and subordinate because he thought he had a better plan than God. Christ, on the other hand, made God's will his will. He told the disciple, one day, my food is to do the will of the Father. He continually was telling the people around him, my hour has not yet come. He patiently and obediently waited for the plan of God to be worked out in his life. And finally, Saul loved the top spot, but he ended up a loser. The Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Philippians chapter 2, Commending that to you and me, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, so that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't do as the first king of Israel. Do as the last and the foremost king of Israel, and you will always know the blessing of God. And Father, we would only pray that whatever there is of the heart of Saul that is in us now that by the work of your Spirit and the work of your Word that you would purge it from us. May Christ be our example. May we walk according to his Word, and may we walk in his way, always for your glory, always for your honor, because we pray in his name. Amen.